Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Speaking of Animals. I'm Caitlin Holling, and I'm the Community Outreach and Development Coordinator at the Flagler Humane Society. Today, I'm joined by... Ronald Melvin. I'm a, uh, a supporter of the Humane Society and a speaker from the Toastmasters group. Yes, and he is going to be one of our new co-hosts, so please welcome him. He's been on the last two weeks, and he's settling in nicely. We've enjoyed having him here with us. So today on Speaking of Animals, Melvin and I will be discussing the history of animal protection in the United States. So we've gathered this information from an article titled The History of Animal Protection in the United States, and it's by Janet M. Davis, which was published in the Organization of American Historians. It's interesting that you talk about uh, the protection of animals. Mm -hmm. It seems like there are so many flavors of that. Yeah. Uh, uh, I was looking, and there's the welfare of animals, and then there's the uh, form of the reality or the actual safety of the animal itself, the life of itself. Yeah, that is interesting. That's a good point. So I found it interesting that beginning in the 1870s, animal protectionists saw the safeguarding of children and animal as equally important. And the safeguarding of animals started before the safeguarding of children in the U.S. And it kind of spearheaded the safeguarding of the children. So the abolitionists or the people that were fighting for animal protection rights were also fighting for children protection rights, which makes sense because they're both vulnerable living things that need our help and can't really protect themselves well. So it kind of makes sense that we have that compassion for both those groups. I thought it was interesting that we would have to do that, especially for exactly. children, yeah. that that would be a protective thing in the beginning. And then the animals, but here we have it a little differently. Yeah, it is weird that we would start with the animals, but I thought found that very interesting. <laughs> so, the transnational Protestant revivalization and social reform in the early 19th century was fueled by the expansion of animal protectionism. And then in Great Britain, evangelicals and abolitionists spearheaded the earliest animal protection laws and the organized societies, which became a blueprint for dozens of the new anti-cruelty laws which in America, in the U.S. So this all happened when the United States was founding its country and founding the new laws of the U.S., which are currently in place now, and we're constantly building upon them. There's been constant um, amendments to our laws throughout the years, which have been great. But there's been a... Uh, with the general public, they've changed also. Because now we have the uh, thing of vegetarians, yeah, which is different from the welfare of animals, where welfare is to make sure that they're safe and mm -hmm. protective, and then there's vegetarians that say, don't touch them at all, no? Yeah. Don't use any of that. So this protection coming up from then it has been progressing. Yes, it's gotten even more. Um, people have been getting even more into animal rights, and there's even veganism, which... Um, is even more extreme than vegetarianism, which they don't um, consume any animal products at all, which is interesting. So while I was researching about the animal protection laws and them starting in the U.S., I found that animal protectionists across the nation, they instituted humane societies, which originally began as a safeguard for animals and children under a singular protective fold. So 
they named it or they titled it um, "They Helped Beast and Babes," and they had a right for to protection because they could suffer. So humane activists established this historical precedent for future generations of animal rights activists because they place these animals on a legal continuum with these vulnerable human beings, which helps them have helps animals have rights as well as like humans, which is nice. During that time that you're speaking of, that's when we were using animals for everything. Mm-hmm. They were the burden type animals that help plow the fields and mm-hmm. they were also used for transportation within the cities of pulling the trolleys yeah. so there was a lot of more intri- uh, use of animals at that time besides the fact that we were using them for a food source yes we were definitely using them for transportation and we didn't have vehicles at no. that time so the horse industry was a huge industry um I did find one interesting point. Well, so like we talk about, a lot of people use these animals for work and for economic survival. So I did find that when these animal protection laws were coming into place, that a lot of um, immigrants or people of color were suffering because they were the one that depended on these animals for economic survival. And it was almost a privilege to not have to use the animals for work because they couldn't afford or survive without having to use these animals for work. So it kind of gave animal rights a negative, almost privileged um, look, which is very understandable now to look back on because it makes sense that underprivileged or marginalized groups of people would need to use these animals to survive. And we forget about the uh, army. The military, yeah. the military had lots of horses used during mm-hmm. the war, and many, many were killed during that time, mm-hmm. delivering and supporting and transporting, transporting uh, troops. Yeah, and I did read something about how that was when um, photographs just started coming out. So during the Civil War, a lot of people were seeing photographs of these war um, aftermath and of the horses dead and it started when they started being able to see it it actually made them want to take action and change it and not have these animals yeah. get killed in the war um, unfortunately it happened but it's we're, it's good to be aware of it and to take action against it so during the 20th century that's when the slaughterhouse reform started to be put into place and we started to think about humanely slaughtering our animals for food and also that's when in the 1900s is when we got parasite control and antibiotics and we were able to keep us and our pets alive for longer with these antibiotics and these medicines and also we were able to bring our animals inside in close proximity to to being able to keep the animals clean ourselves cleaner not get sick from them and i read that attitudes towards cats changed the most which was interesting so in the 19th century some of the animal protectionists they maligned the cat as a semi-wild killer of birds everyone loves birds and they just looked at them as beasts that killed birds which makes sense um but then the new medical advances and consumer products such as cat litter um which was invented in 1947 that allow allowed us to bring the cats indoors, which was interesting. And then by the mid-20th century, dogs and cats and other sheltering animals like guinea pigs, rabbits, were able to come into our house and become pets and 
be able to live harmoniously with us in a clean environment and not look be looked at as dirty animals that should be outside. Yeah, that in- interesting point of the uh, cat. Mm-hmm. Uh, even today, people are really upset about stray cats or feral cats yeah. because they feel that they do cut down the population of birds in the area. Yeah, they do. It's it's one of those two sides for the same coin, I guess. They do. Um, That's why we definitely want to try to control the stray cat population. It's not good for the animals, especially the birds. Um, They're the most vulnerable, but even bunnies. Bunnies are pretty pretty sustainable and can um, reproduce pretty easily. But the baby bunnies, I've seen lots of cats get the baby bunnies or the birds. So it's very important to make sure we try to control the stray cat population. And just for the cats themselves, too. It's not not nice to see a bunch of stray cats out. It's sad. We want to make sure they're nice and cozy and well taken care of and not overpopulating the community. So then in the 1970s, we started working on laws and covering the use of warm-blooded animals used for animal testing. So we started the Animal Welfare Act, and it covers... All warm-blooded animals, and we stopped using them for research, testing, experimentation, or exhibitation, except for horses and farm animals not used for research. Um, The Act now regulates more research facilities to protect animals and exhibitors throughout the entire research process, such as carnivals, cruises, and zoos. Okay, Lynn. I have to admit that I'm old enough to remember when this was a very big point in the community yeah definitely uh, i remember when the they had organizations that were actually going in and breaking into facilities mm-hmm. and taking the animals out that were being used in the labs oh wow yeah they were breaking in i remember when the fur tr- uh, i won't call it fur trade but when mm-hmm. people were wearing fur coats and all and there was organizations against that yeah and they were pouring liquids on anyone who mm-hmm. wore a fur coat. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things that uh, it wasn't overnight, and it's a lot of people were very concerned about these animals. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I believe it's still <laughs> happening, especially with the fur coats. I've mm-hmm. definitely seen people, the demonstrations, and PETA is definitely still active. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back to talk more about this. We'll see you then. Alrighty, and we're back, and we're going to talk about animal protection laws in the U.S. and how they began, how they got started. So, in the 1990s, the Pet Protection Act was amended to the Animal Welfare Act, and that requires that all dogs and cats held at animal shelters be kept there for at least five days before before being sold to any research facilities. Um, so, that's that was put into place. And then in 2007, the Animal Fighting Prohibition Enforcement Act was put into place, and that prohibits the attachment of knives, gaffs, or any other sharp instruments to birds' legs during animal fighting, and the criminal penalties for fighting ventures also were increased. That's an area that's 
really strange to be around in 2007. Mm-hmm. But even at that time, they were famous athletes involved in dog fighting and other different types of fighting at that time. Even though you have the group of entertainers that are against it, you have those that are actually involved in some of those things. Yeah. And uh, I think another, another part of it comes in with uh, different cultures coming in and bringing their what's normal for them exactly. is not necessarily normal in this country. Yeah, it is hard, and especially even today, it's still an issue. It's very sad to see that dog fighting is still persistent in some communities and some areas, and um, even um, cock fighting, cock fighting or yes. rooster fighting, um, especially. And um, like we'll mention. In a second, Guam, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. It, only in 2009 were they just um, did they make it illegal in those territories, which are U.S. territories. Yeah. So in 2009, that amendment was made to the Animal Welfare Act to prohibit the animal fighting in the U.S. territories, such as Guam, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. But it previously was permitted before. 2019. So that's very recent. Um, so, and it, th- that is a big part because it is a big part of their culture, the culture it in, is. in those places. So it's hard to kind of outlaw something, a part of their culture. I completely, I am sympathetic yeah. to that, but it's harsh. It's very harsh it's, it's to cruel. the animal. It's just it's, totally it's, cool. It is. It's very cool. And I'm glad it's, we're helping out these roosters and these, Dogs, especially, especially the dogs. Well, and the roosters, of course, too. Yeah. The other thing was the uh, circuses, (laughs) if you remember, well, we eliminated the use of live animals, basically, in circuses with the elephants and the lions. I did not realize that when I was going to the circus how they were treated. I just accepted them to be part of the entertainment. Yeah, that's a big, that's a good point. The circus animals, yeah, I'm not sure if. We've actually gotten rid of circuses altogether. I'm pretty sure I've seen circuses still occurring, but I think we've put a lot of laws in place that help protect them a lot more than they have been in the past, which is good. It's important. And zoos. I'm uh, zoos, yep. in Philadelphia where they had the first zoo. <laughs> uh, they had to change their zoo around because keeping the animals in cages for people to see was not the proper way to do it. So now you'll find that your zoos are a lot more spread out. The, the animals are allowed to roam in areas as opposed to being locked in a cage. It is always sad when you go to a zoo and you see like a big cat or so animal pacing, or you can just see they're stressed yeah. out. It, it breaks your heart. And yeah, I'm glad they're taking action and trying to give them the proper enclosure and enrichment while they're at the zoo. I was the something else that has uh, been a big area in the past, or the close, near past, let's put it that way, mm-hmm. is the the mm-hmm. puppy mills and different things. That's a area that has become a big concern, and I didn't think about it that much until I moved to Florida and realized there are a lot of animals in Florida and a lot of. Uh, animals being mated and uh, 
being bred. For yeah, being bred. That's the yeah. term. Yes, being bred. Yes. I, it's, I think people need to be aware <laughs> that almost every shelter in the country is full, is at capacity. And a lot of them, yeah. especially in Florida and Texas and in California, those are the three states that are really suffering with the overpopulation of dogs, especially in cats. But it's really heartbreaking to see these um, county shelters that have to they can't close their shelter so they have to continually take animals in so when they run out of space they unfortunately have to euthanize which is so heartbreaking when you have to euthanize dogs that are great they're not they don't have behavioral issues they're young they're adoptable but they just don't have space they don't have the resources um and i don't think people that are buying from breeders really realize that or kind of make that connection um but i think it's really important for them to make that connection because when you're there is even i don't know i i personally would never support a breeder but i understand when people have certain issues like for like a um, hypoallergenic or those certain type of specifications that they need to get a certain breed um but I would suggest that you should look at the shelter because we do get hypoallergenic breeds in. We do get doodles in. We do get huskies in if you are specifically looking for a specific breed just because you want that breed. We get small dogs in. We get chihuahuas in. Um, I don't think people realize. Like, we, I get a lot of dogs, um, and it's really great to try to not get them from a breeder or a puppy mill and not support that vicious cycle because – the overpopulation of dogs and cats especially is really prevalent in the U.S. and all over, but especially in our country, and we should try to help it as much as we can, if if we can. Tell me, do you have any uh, points for the public in how they can help protect these animals, things they should look out for or whatever? Things they should look out for? Um I mean, you can always volunteer. Volunteering is a great way to help the animals at the shelter. If you can't adopt more, I understand if you have a, a have a live in an apartment or you already have a dog that's not great with other dogs or whatever the case may be. I, I know a lot of people can't um, take on a lot of animals or the big pit bulls that are at the shelter. We have a lot of older people in our community, so I understand if you have those issues. Um, but there are a lot of ways you can still help the shelter. Um, you can volunteer. You can become a humane hero, um, which is a monthly subscription service. Um, it starts at $10 a month. Um, you can also just do outreach events or share on our social, on your social media, our posts or like share pictures of our dogs to try to get the word out about them and remind people that they're there and that they're waiting for homes and maybe your friend or someone you know or your cousin or your nephew or whoever might see that and be reminded to, hey, I'm looking for a new dog. Maybe I should go to the shelter instead of looking at a breeder. And it's good to just remind people that the dogs are there and it's not the nicest place to visit. Some people say it's sad to visit, but I think any happiness you can bring to the dogs is better than no happiness so you being there just bring them a little treat or anything is way better than them not getting that so if you can kind of remember that you're bringing them happiness and you being there is a good thing um it's better than trying to or putting it in the mindset that it's so sad i I understand it is sad but it's try to remember that you're doing a good thing and you're helping them and the more you're there you're helping them by not the not being there you know (laughs) But don't you have some events that coming up to help with your uh, association? We do have some events. We're going to take a quick break and we'll tell you all about the events that we have coming up when we get back. 
Alrighty, and we're back. The events we have coming up for the Flagwood Humane Society, if you're looking for a new canine companion or a new cat or dog, for dogs, we do dog adoption events on the weekends. So we bring out some great dogs that are adoptable to PetSmart and Pet Supermarket. PetSmart is on Friday and Saturdays. We try to do it every single weekend. So if you can't make it this weekend, try to make it next weekend. But on Fridays, it's from 1 to 4 p.m. And then on Saturdays, it's 11 to 2 p.m. And that's at PetSmart in the Target Plaza. And then on Saturday this weekend, the 24th, from 2 to 6, we're also going to be in front of the CBD store in Palm Coast. And then on Sunday, we're at Pet Supermarket from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. in Palm Coast. And that's on the other side of Palm Coast um, by Chick-fil-A. And then for cats, we actually have cats, adoptable cats, in all the pet smart or all the pet stores in Palm Coast, um, Pet Co, Pet Supermarket, and Pet Smart. If you're looking for adoptable cats, and then of course at our shelter. And we did just want to mention if you would like to talk about anything, or if you're a dog trainer, or into animals, or if you've adopted from the Flagley Humane Society and would like to talk about your pet or your story or anything you would like to talk about, please feel free to contact us at k-h-o-l-l-i-n-g at org, and you can email that email and let us know if you would like to come on the radio show. You can call us, you can come in person, and you can be a guest on Speaking of Animals and give us a little bit about what you do or your pet. And then we will be at the 2024 Spring Fest for Palm Coast. It's um, at the Palm Coast Central Park on March 2nd, Saturday, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. It's free. And there's going to be lots of booths and people there, so make sure to stop by the, our booth and say hi. We will probably have some adoptable dogs there for you to say hi to as well, so they would love to get some love if you'd like to stop by, and that's the Palm Coast Spring Fest on March 2nd. So be sure to check that out, and that's in Central Park of Palm Coast. And then on Sunday, March 3rd, we have the Animal Angels annual fashion show and luncheon. That's March 3rd at 1 p.m. at the Halifax Plantation Banquet Room. It's a lunch and a 50-50 raffle. You can call 859-801-7185 for tickets. And all the proceeds benefit us at the Flagler Humane Society, which is really awesome of the Animal Angels to put this on. They do it yearly, and it's a great benefit and a great fashion show if so if you're interested be sure to check that out tickets are $50 and again you can call 859-801-7185 if you're interested Alrighty, thank you so much for Ronald for being here with us we hope to see you all next week and I hope you enjoyed listening to Speaking of Animals